0: Well, good morning. This is an historic day. We have started on time. Uh, they, they did. I just had to, had to prove them wrong. Um, welcome. Glad you are all here. Uh, we have uh, been opening each uh, topic with a psalm. And a prayer uh, from, usually it's, it's become pretty much this book called Be Thou My Vision, a liturgy for daily worship. Um, connecting us to the saints who have gone before us, the history of the church. Praying with uh, believers throughout the ages uh, is why I hope to do that. But then also rooting us in the Word of God as we set our sights on uh, talking about who God is and what He has done for us. So Psalm 140 is where we will begin this morning. Uh and I do then want to uh, I'll just briefly review and uh come on in. Our youngest member is uh now here with us and we're thankful for that. We'll we'll try not to excite him too much with some good theology, but but When I talk about baptism, I get a little bit excited, so no promises. (laughs) All right. so we'll read Psalm 140, and then I will read our prayer to start us off. So, Psalm 140 says, To the choir master, a psalm of David. Deliver me, O Lord, from evil men. Preserve me from violent men, who plan evil things in their heart, and stir up wars continually. They make their tongues sharp as a serpent's, And under their lips is the venom of asps, Selah. Guard me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from violent men who have planned to trip up my feet. The arrogant have hidden a trap for me, and with cords they have spread a net. Beside the way they have set snares for me, Selah. I say to the Lord, You are my God. Give ear to the voice of my pleas for mercy, O Lord. O Lord, my Lord, the strength of my salvation. You have covered my head in the day of battle. Grant not, O Lord, the desires of the wicked. Do not further their evil plot, or they will be exalted. Selah. As for the head of those who surround me, let the mischief of their lips overwhelm them. Let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into fire, into miry pits, no more to rise. Let the slanderer be established in the land. Let... Let not the slanderer be established in the land. Let evil hunt down the violent man speedily. I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and will execute justice for the needy. Surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name. The upright shall dwell in your presence. Let's pray. Almighty Lord, our God. Whose eyes are in every place beholding the evil and the good, and who sees not only our outward actions, but all our most secret thoughts. We pray you to maintain us this day maintain in us in this day a constant sense of your presence, and to preserve us from sinning against you. We are exposed to dangers by night and by day. Our lives are in your hands, and unto you do we look for preservation from every evil. O Lord, teach us to be ever mindful of you. When we go out and come in, and when we are alone and in company, may we bear in mind that you are continually with us, and that you take account of all we think and speak and do. Amen. Thoughts on the passage of the prayer? we. Jump on in here. Um all,
1: all this this whole song is to say God's protection. I mean
0: he you dis disapproved. Yeah. I'm really thankful for that. Amen.
2: Me too. Seems pretty timely to me.
0: Mm. Indeed. So two weeks ago we discussed justification. Is this bothersome to anyone having this laptop here? Okay. The cord. Just one of me. Okay. It's bothersome to you. Well, then I'm going to leave it there. And you can pray three times for the removal of the thorn from your flesh, and let me know how God answers. Uh, so two weeks ago we discussed justification. Um, We defined it as the instantaneous legal act of God in which He thinks of our sins as forgiven. I have this up there. And Christ's righteousness as belonging to us and therefore declares us to be just or morally righteous in His sight. So we focused on the fact that it is a legal declaration. It is God saying over us, you are righteous, not based on anything that you have done, but based on the work of Christ applied to us by faith. That is the heart of justification, uh, and it is uh, the heart of the gospel. And so as we look uh, to better understand the gospel for ourselves, but then better be better able to share it with others, we got to get that right. Uh, where we are declared righteous in God's sight by faith alone, nothing else uh, can, can give us the righteousness that we so desperately need. We looked at four false views of religion. Um, religion as... I don't remember if I put these up here. It's been a while. There we go. And I'll just fly through these. Religion says good works equals justification, where all you have to do in order to, to be seen as righteous in, in God's sight is do enough good. Uh, we see this, I think I have mentioned both times, um, in the system such as Islam, uh, where they say something to the effect of, as long as the good that I do outweighs the bad that I do, I will probably get into heaven. And that probably is... Not, not sure. Uh, and so, religion as a system does not work. Roman Catholicism, we looked at that. Faith plus good works equals justification. Uh, Rome does not deny the necessity of faith, but they do not think that it is faith alone. And it's this process of, of falling in and out of a state of justification. It starts at your baptism where you are justified. This process begins. And then through works of penance, the the, 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 the whole system uh, you are either just or not just uh, at any particular time, and so if you are if you sin in some form or fashion, you have to go to uh, confession, confess your sin, and the priest will say, "Do this so that you can be restored to the state of justification," uh, and he'll say the words to you as you leave, "Te absolvo," meaning you are absolved, but. Uh, If we hold to what I think Scripture teaches, that justification is by faith alone, the words of that priest, te absolvo, do nothing. We also looked at decisionalism, a profession of faith equals justification. This is probably one of the most common false views in our current day, uh, where all you have to do is say, yep, I believe, and you're good. Uh, There's no life change that is necessary in this False view, as long as you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, uh, then you're good. But if there's no fruit that's being produced, then we would have reason based on what Scripture says to question that claim. And decisionalism is, is, as a system, again, doesn't hold up to what Scripture teaches. Finally, there's legalism, which states that justification is by faith, but my right standing with God is based on the good work that I do. Uh, this i said is is probably what i struggle with most where you know i think i have to either earn the favor of god by you know adding to what he says and all of those sort of things but legalism as a as a foundation for justification crumbles we cannot earn the favor of god it's freely given by grace through excuse me through faith so those were the false views of justification before we moved into our response to the gospel. We looked at Acts chapter 17, just a, a really interesting passage uh, where Paul is preaching to the philosophers. Uh, we looked at Epicurean and Epicureanism and Stoicism as belief systems uh, to see what Paul was was confronting specifically and how the words that he was saying were specifically confronting the false ideas that they had. We saw it as a model of of how to confront someone's thinking in a loving manner, but also not skimping out on the truth. And Paul did not skimp out on the truth. Uh, And even we see uh, towards the end of the passage that there were some who believed because of his preaching of the gospel. Um... And we asked a bunch of questions of the passage. Uh, we saw in this passage again that God is the loving creator, supreme authority, and final judge as we started uh, this class with uh, understanding who God is as, as those, those three things. Uh, seeing the chasm that exists, that if God is the loving creator, supreme authority, and our final judge, and mankind is, um, is willfully ignorant, passionately rebellious, and condemned to die. There's a, a giant gap, and Christ has to stand in the middle, uh, who is uh, perfectly obedient the substitutionary sacrifice and is victoriously risen. Uh, and then we get to where we are now, the biblical response to the gospel. So that, that's where we're going to pick up. So, uh, yeah, the three circles, all that good stuff. Acts 17. Some of the questions. Excuse me as I try to catch up here. There we go. Oh. Spoiler alert. It was there. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so we're going to... I just want to read a few passages and basically just try to ascertain what it is that the scriptures teach on how we should respond to the good news of the gospel and then move into some practical things, specifically the role of baptism. And I've got a lot to say about baptism. So... Hopefully, we can get there. So, first passage is Mark one read verses 14 to 15.
1: We're not going to be in Acts 17
0: then? N- okay. No. Okay, good. Yeah, we're going to bounce bounce all over the place now. Right. Mark 1, 14 and 15. Which says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. How about we just read all of them and then I'll ask the question, because they're they're all going to say the same thing. Acts chapter 2. Read verses 36 and 38 through 38, I should say. Uh, So, this is Acts 2 36. It says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, "Brothers, what shall we do?" And Peter said to them, "Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit." And back to Acts 17, just quickly here, in verse 30. Where it says, The times of ignorance God overlooked. Now he commands all people everywhere to repent. So there's, there's one word that was used in all three of those passages that summarizes what our response to the gospel should be. And that word was? Repent. Repent. So, in Mark, we saw that it was stated as repent and believe. In Peter's call for a response to the gospel for a Jewish audience, he says, repent and be baptized. And in Acts here, Paul is calling for a response in in the Areopagus at Mars Hill, uh, where he is interacting with philosophers of all all sorts, all varieties, and he says to them, repent and believe. God commands all people everywhere to repent. So, repentance and belief... I think are two things that could be studied separately. However, they're describing what occurs when a person responds positively to the gospel. So so just think of it this way. There are, there are two ways that a person can respond to the gospel. They can choose to reject and they can say, no, I, I don't believe any of that. And and just just say it's false, it doesn't work, doesn't add up, whatever it may be. But then there's the other other positive response. If that's the negative, this is the positive, where they repent and believe, as we see taking place in Acts 17, where it says some believed. And so there's there's this idea that exists in these passage passages of repentance and belief being closely linked. So for our our purposes, just to think about what repentance is, I think it's maybe a little easier to to define. Belief, but repentance is a change of heart, a change of mind that leads to a change of heart. So we, we are recognizing I'm wrong. Okay, in, that's my baby crying in the next room. In repentance, we change our minds about sin as we forsake it. And then in belief, we trust solely in the finished work of Christ for the forgiveness of sin and the hope of eternal life. And so the first step in this process is the change of mind, which is repentance. We need to admit and to say that my ideas about God, about what, the, what was accomplished by Christ on the cross, are wrong. And so when we repent, in part what we're doing is admitting that. And we're, we're choosing rather instead of, of continuing in our unbelief and, and rejection, we're choosing then to accept the teaching of God uh, where He reveals Himself, as we've already seen, as the loving Creator. The um, supreme authority and final judge and the work of Christ has accomplished all that it needs to accomplish and so we trust that His work on the cross is sufficient uh, to to do what he claims that it's going to do which is grant forgiveness. So then in in our understanding of the gospel uh, for the purposes of our lives uh, repentance is both a one and done thing but it's also a continual thing. So so when we repent initially there's there's the the first kind which we see in Acts 17 where is like the moment of salvation. But then there's a daily repentance, and we think of, what's the passage, um, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Um, It's in the Gospels, but it's also quoted in Acts later, maybe like 26 or so. I can't think of it right now. But our initial repentance is the change of mind initially about God, but then the continual repentance is we are continually fighting with the old wretched man that I am from Romans chapter 7 and seeking to put off the works of the flesh and put on, uh, put on Christ instead. And so there's a, there's a constant need of, of change of mind as we seek to forsake sin. So, repentance, necessary uh, to the Christian life. Um, Any questions on that?
1: Uh, I have one on the thing repentance and belief can be studied separate. What's that blank here?
0: Um, I don't remember which the oh, actual blank. Error. <coughs> yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And one other
0: thing. Yeah. The Epicurus and Stoicism. Yeah. Were they Jews or were they Greeks or what? Um, I would imagine them to have been Greeks, yeah. I mean, they're in Athens. And I think... I, I guess I would say that just because they're they are Greeks does not mean that they're definitely not Jews. Yeah,
1: I know. I was going to say that. Yeah. Paul normally he only talks to Jews. Not all the time.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: mainly
0: a Jew talks to a Jew, you know. I I, I don't know. Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, so so <clears throat> regardless of who he's talking to, He's telling them to repent. Oh, my baby girl. You
1: just to stop crying. Right? Yeah. <laughs> might be. You might have
0: to go give them. Yeah. Uh, so then, I want to talk about the role of baptism in, not in our repentance, but what baptism signifies. Because even, even we see Paul, when he says in Acts 2, or sorry, that's Peter, he tells them to repent and be baptized, every one of you. So then, uh, let's look at Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Verse three it says, Do you do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. A similar passage in Colossians two, eleven to fourteen. which says, In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you you also were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So based on, on those two passages, let's talk a little bit about the question, what does baptism picture? Any thoughts? A separation of everyday life and in the spiritual life. A separation, mm-hmm. okay
2: symbolizes death and resurrection,
0: yeah. It's also a picture of our union with Christ. The fact that we are united to Him. Because both passages say something to the effect of we are baptized in, um, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which we were also raised with Him through faith and the powerful working of God. So this, this this idea of baptism is, is that we are publicly uh, demonstrating our union with Christ, our death to sin, and our life to righteousness. Uh, The New Hampshire Confession of Faith, uh, written sometime in the 1800s, I want to say 1853, defines baptism by saying, "...we believe that Christian baptism is the immersion in water of a believer into the name of the Father and Son and Holy Ghost." to show forth in a solemn and beautiful emblem our faith in the crucified, buried, and risen Savior, with its effect in our death to sin and resurrection to new life. So in even in that definition, we hear echoes of Romans 6, 3-4, which again is, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death, Excuse me, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So it's important to say baptism doesn't save. It is a solemn and beautiful emblem, as the New Hampshire Confession says, of the faith that does save. And it's only only faith in God. Uh, as a gift of His grace that saves. And so baptism then becomes a picture of our death, burial, and resurrection in Christ. And so what, what we say then about baptism is that it is an outward display of an inward reality. So baptism is an outward display of God's work in salvation that has taken place in our life. The act of baptism doesn't save, but it is giving a living illustration of what God has done. When we are united to Christ by faith, as Paul says in both Romans and Colossians, we're, we're united to Him in His death and in His resurrection. And so baptism pictures that. And so this is a sign that is pointing to a reality, much like wearing a wedding band, where if you are not wearing your wedding band, you don't automatically become unmarried. You're still married. It's just a picture of a a reality that has taken place in your life. Because there is a, a deeper, more important reality that is expressed by the sign. So that might cause us to ask the question, why does baptism matter? And I'd I'd like to ask a question of you to consider. We can discuss it a little bit. Uh, Let's say I become a Christian. I wasn't, I'm not me. I don't know, whatever. Um, Let's say uh, uh, Joe Schmoe who is just a complete, utter derelict, uh, and has rejected God. But he becomes a Christian, and never gets baptized. Joe Schmoe can still go to heaven, but the question I want you to consider, what harm is done as a result of him not being baptized? Anything come to mind?
3: He missed the testimony. By being baptized. Okay,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah?
3: He missed giving a testimony. Okay. Well, was he told that he needs to be baptized? As you're
0: saying, has he read the Bible?
3: no now i I knew of a missionary that years ago would have been in the 60s. he was a missionary in Colombia, and he told me that the ones that hated the Christians there which to a point were the Catholics, but there were some others when when people became Christians, they didn't necessarily face the persecution between from from others that I guess I don't know druggies, whatever, drug cartels, sure. whatever. People that didn't like religious people coming in and straightening out their crooked country. But well, anyway, he said they didn't so much face persecution, but he said when they were baptized,
0: mm-hmm.
3: he said when when the the criminals and whatever riffraff saw them baptized, he said sometimes they would set up snipers, and when they came up out of the water, they'd wow. shoot them. Well, wow. well. Wow. Because to them, the baptism meant that they were solidly with it, that Mm -hmm. they were committed Christians, Mm -hmm. and that they had gone the way of the Christians, the baptism. Right. That was, again, in South America.
0: Right. Uh, uh, Similar things are taking place today in the Middle East. Yeah. Yeah.
3: So I guess to the unbeliever... I guess to them, baptism really does mean something.
0: Yeah. And it should.
3: Well, it should, but I think it means more to them, maybe even to us. It's possible. I don't know if that's a lick on us, but it certainly shows that, at least to some people, it means something. Yeah. So is it the public
2: confession of
0: this of your faith? Baptism? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, there's a book uh, solely on baptism, and the title is Going Public.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes it a lot easier, if you don't get baptized, to fall back into your old way of life. Yeah.
0: And why do you think that is?
2: There's no public
0: accountability. Sure, yeah, and, and so, so I, I've asked the follow-up question, because I, I don't want it to seem like there's some sort of mysticism or or magic taking place in in the act of baptism because it's not like i i think i probably had this this misunderstanding when i was baptized where i was thinking like okay well i'm gonna get baptized and i'm just gonna feel different like i'm gonna i'm gonna feel more holy i I don't know Mm -hmm. and the church that i grew up in uh baptizes three times and forward uh instead of here, which we do one time backward and Pastor Tim likes to pick on me. But I came up the third time and I was like I don't feel any different. Yeah. <laughs> and and so there's like there's not this magic that takes place, but there is what you're saying, there's the public accountability that, that I'm saying by my baptism, I'm following Christ.
1: And
2: yeah. you're allowed to Yeah. Tell me when I'm not.
0: Yeah.
1: And also too, I think um, some churches um, after they're baptized, they'll if you're a young, young lady, there's an older lady, the mentor them. That, yeah. that helps a lot too. Yeah.
2: I think growing up like United Methodist, I think mm-hmm. I kind of see a little bit of kind of what you felt too. Or I don't I don't know if I thought I would feel different, but I think originally my thoughts about it would be I kind of. Saw it as like, like a seal almost. Mm. Like you're saved and the envelope closed, but baptism is the. You stamp the, the seal. The wax on it then, seal, yeah, yeah. And it's
0: set. Interesting here.
2: Yeah. Um, which then makes you feel like, especially if you're baptized as an infant, you can't do it again because while you're saying that one seal wasn't good enough, you got not put a second one on there. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. But I, I think, do think that also there were. Baptism was um something that I do think that if you do research, which I haven't done on this you'll find that they baptized I think even the Jews baptized.
0: Yeah, the baptism of John was Well the, yeah. even before that I think yeah. there were
3: baptisms Yeah. I, I I think believe it was a, a social custom where you were declaring something Mm -hmm, and when mm -hmm. you did that you were saying I'm all in I'm right use current uh, uh, terminology I'm all in I'm with this now yeah I'm one of them right
0: period right
3: and I I can't remember somebody did but they said that the Jews actually even before John baptized that, that it was something that was um um A more common practice than we realize. Yeah. Now, the skeptics then would, of course, say, well, you Christian just copied. So (laughs) I would say that God comes to us in our context so that we'll understand. Yeah. And so what do you mean by that? Well, look at Christ. Christ came in our body. Yeah. So So we could understand we have a Savior that is like us, knows us, and comes to us. Not only... With our customs of the day he came, but in their body, mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. a body like theirs. Yeah. So to me, that's not something that is a lick against the Christianity and sure. the Bible. To what it says is that God comes to us in something that we will understand because He comes to us in our context, yeah. our society, our norms, yeah, so to speak.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and I I think any gentile who converted uh to Judaism, Judaism yeah. would have been baptized yeah, yeah. maybe in a little bit of different functions and all of that so some i just i want to read some of the answers that i had thought through um, because i do i want to ask the question who should be baptized, and, and answer that a little bit. If you have any, any questions about any of these things, feel free to ask, but I'll just read them as stated, and then move on to the next question. And this is, this is answering the question, uh, what harm is done as a result of not being baptized? One could be, I'm disobeying Christ, which dishonors Him. He says in the Great Commission to be baptized. I miss out on an opportunity to proclaim Him publicly miss out on the confirmation of a local church agreeing that my profession seems genuine, I lose a visual reminder of my death to self and life in Christ. Other people lose out on that reminder of their own salvation, and non-Christians miss out on a visual depiction of the gospel, and there could be more. Any questions on any of those? Alright, when you say death to self, um, that's not a
1: physical
0: death, is it? No. Dead to sin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So then, if that is true about an omission of baptism, that should probably inform how we as a church baptize people um, and who should be baptized. So I'll ask the question who (laughs) should be baptized?
3: Converts, new disciples
0: those who have professed faith.
3: Some would say believers.
0: (laughs) Some would say believers. I would say believers. So, I want to... I think I, I want to present the case for infant baptism. And is not something that I hold to, but I think there is, there's a a good way to do it. I wouldn't say a biblical way to do it, but there are also a lot of wrong ways to do it. Um, And I want to focus mainly on what I think is the good way, because I think we need to understand the, the quote unquote, the other side. Um,
3: yeah, and there's some good ones that still believe that, or yeah. used to when they were here. R.C. Spool, for one. Yeah, yeah. He him and McCarthy used to argue yeah. about that. Yeah, there's a
0: really great debate on YouTube. Yeah, those they, two. They went at it. They each did. Other. Great debate. They um, did. and and so I think my hope in doing this is so that you at least understand it when you hear it. You're not like, well, that person is just not even a Christian. Or you're able to, to say, oh, okay, well then let's dialogue on that. So you can have a conversation about where the disagreement is without ostracizing. Um, and I want to present the best case, which what I see is the best case for infant baptism, uh, because are you familiar with what a straw man is? A straw man argument? Uh, it's an it's an argument that easily goes up in flames. And, and so, like, if, if I... If we have a misunderstanding of infant baptism based on a straw man argument, it's, that's not something that anyone actually believes. So I think we need to have the best case argument uh, that we can and then reason from Scripture about it. Most people uh, alive today who do baptize their babies do so because they believe that baptism removes original sin. That is not the good way. That would be Roman Catholic Church. That would be UMC. Yes. That would be uh, UCC in baptismal regeneration and, and, and those sort of things. So, um, And in that case, they are not believing that salvation is by faith alone. There's some sort of work that is added to this process of justification which is why we started where we started to say that justification is an instantaneous legal act i don't want to deal with that argument right now roman catholicism if you want to have that debate or ask questions about that that's fine um you can i have a copy of the catechism of the roman catholic church and it's much worse than i thought it was just to just to be honest but anyway uh i want to deal with those who agree with us on the gospel for instance, our evangelical Presbyterian or Anglican brothers and sisters who would baptize infants. And just as a technical term, they would call themselves Pato Baptist. And we would... Well, I'm not going to speak for anyone in this room. I would call myself a credo-baptist. Credo, uh, as in confession of faith. So then, in short... The argument for infant baptism for paedo baptism is that the new covenant continuation of the sign and seal of circumcision is baptism. So a Paedo Baptist would point out that in the Old Testament, God intended children to be part of the covenant that He made with Israel. And the sign and seal of that covenant was circumcision. On the eighth day. Now, circumcision wasn't only for infants, but it was mainly applied to infants. And this rite of circumcision was so important that the Lord says to Moses in Exodus 12 that no uncircumcised male should participate in Passover. So, when we get to the New Testament, the strong presumption is that children will continue to be included in the covenant. And they would say, children are included unless we get a clear teaching to the contrary. And so they would flip through the pages of the New Testament and say, there's no teaching to the contrary. We're going to continue in believing that circumcision under the old covenant in the new covenant is now replaced with baptism. And so they say the sign and seal of the covenant under the new covenant is baptism, not circumcision. And it applies to all children, not just baby boys. You have a question?
3: Well, but
0: I see a problem with that. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> because
3: when we talk. All right. When we talk about baptism, baptism is for male and female. Circumcision, unless you're an African living in the sure. old
0: way, is for men. They would point to Joel chapter 2. Young men will dream dreams, women will prophesy, and so in the new covenant, the sign and seal of the covenant is expanded to male and female. <laughs> yeah
1: okay, what about your views um as you raise the kids up and you tell them about God and everything, and they accept christ after they, um become christ um they um um get baptized it's up to them i mean you can lead them so far mm-hmm. but get into that.
0: yeah i I want to make an argument for believer only baptism here in just a minute yeah get into that. You to yeah That's right. and so the the under the new covenant. The sign of the covenant is baptism, not circumcision. So it applies to all children, not just baby boys. And so then, not surprisingly, in Acts chapter 2, when Peter proclaims, repent and be baptized, as we already read, he follows with the statement, for the promise is for you and your children. They say, case closed. We should baptize our babies. Now, lest I've convinced anyone to hold to that position which I don't think I have. Hopefully not. Um, But hopefully it was good enough to convince you an accurate representation of the viewpoint. I want to also make then on the flip side the argument for believers-only baptism. So we would ask the question, what does a Baptist, such as myself, say in response to that argument? Summarize in a few points. Uh, And I, I should even just mention that the controversy here isn't whether whether or not believers should be baptized, because even someone who's a paedo-baptist, if someone had never been baptized as an infant and then professes faith, they would be baptized, so as a believer. Uh, but it's not, that's not the question we're asking, because virtually no person on the whole earth calls themselves Christians who disagrees with whether or not believers should be baptized. So then the question, what does a Baptist say in response to that? Here's in part what I would say. Uh, if you would like to know further, I could give you a copy of my thesis and <laughs> you can read that. So then, when the New Testament describes baptism, it depicts new life in Christ, right? Death to sin, resurrected to new life in Christ. So those verses from Romans six that we've just mentioned, that we are raised to newness of life, as it says. The assumption is that the person being baptized has experienced some sort of change. And I think we would say that that change is regeneration, where they have they've experienced what um, Ezekiel in, in chapter 36 says, the removal of the heart of stone and it has been replaced with the heart of flesh. When the New Testament parallels baptism and circumcision... It parallels baptism not with the Old Covenant circumcision of the flesh, but with the circumcision of the heart. And so by way of context, it's even useful to remember that that through the Old Testament, God periodically reminds His people that what He's most interested in is not circumcision of the flesh, not the external. He's more concerned with the heart or the circumcision of the heart. And so, Colossians 2, I think we see where some of this parallel parallelism is, which we've read some of it already. In verse 11, it says, In Him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. That's not a physical circumcision. By putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him From the dead. So when someone says, absent any teaching to the contrary, we should continue to consider unsaved infants as members of the covenant. We see maybe there's some room for agreement there, but Colossians 2 is is clear in who should be a part of the covenant community. The continuity is not between circumcision and baptism but between circumcision of the heart and baptism. So the the real distinction is whether or not there is saving faith that leads to baptism instead of you are born to someone with saving faith and are therefore baptized. So there are no clear examples of infant baptism in the New Testament. In fact, references to baptism almost exclusively, I think, would speak of conversion having preceded.
3: Old R.C. Spool makes an assumption that mm-hmm. in Acts chapter 16 with the Philippian jailer, he assumes that yeah. he had little kids and right. they were baptized right. too. Yeah. But again, I, as much as I like him, <laughs> he can't prove that.
0: Right, right. And uh, and, and neither side can. Yeah, so he,
3: so. You can't, n- can't prove it either way on that, did he? Or were they old enough to understand?
0: Right. Yeah, so in the case of the Philippian jailer, yeah. he, he professes faith, and it says he and his whole household are baptized. Yeah. There's a couple instances of that in the New Testament. And, and the paedo-baptist, someone who, in, who baptizes infants, would say, well, see, their whole, house, whole household was baptized.
1: Right. Okay. I got another statement. Yeah. I don't believe in the baptism of babies, but the other side of the story is uh, we believe when a baby dies... They go to heaven,
0: and be with the Lord, right? There's Most good cases them. to be, yeah, good cases on both sides. So if that's yeah. the
1: case, which I believe, yeah, then they have to be Christians. So why not baptize them, even though I'm not for it? Yeah, I, yeah, I, th- I think praise. I think the
0: assumption that they have to be Christians is maybe not the right way to say it, but. Okay. To, so the way the way that I and I think MacArthur would articulate it this way where he says I don't know how it works but I believe in a God big enough to figure it out right. and so someone God is merciful enough in those situations to know how to act in a way that would best glorify him right. so that's all I can say about that <laughs> Yeah. To the child um, God said we
1: and you raise up the child. Mm-hmm. It's it's what what they want to do after they get older, and that, and you can show them the way. But um, yeah. that's kind of hard for some kids to understand Sure, sure. If you're not saved because your family and yeah. your grandfather, and right, right, and you yeah, have to, you have to have a personal relationship. With yourself. Yeah,
0: as Pastor Tim has said, uh, God has no grandchildren.
3: Right. Yeah, because one time an atheist online said, well, if you were brought up in a in a Muslim home, you'd be Muslim. I Mm -hmm. said, Well, look, first of all, maybe so. Maybe. I said, but you know, at the same time I was brought up the United Methodist and I left that.
0: Sure. And
3: I said, either way I didn't know that I was going to heaven with either religion. and with, with with Islam, I wouldn't know it. Mm-hmm. And with the United Methodists, I didn't know it because if they could have given me an answer, I would have gone back when I wanted to know. Sure. Now, I guess I kind of confused them. You <laughs> didn't answer back. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, good. Uh, so then in, in Acts 2, as we already mentioned earlier, where it talks about repenting and being baptized... To be sure, as he says, the promise is for your children. They can repent and be baptized as well. Yeah. But but not baptized without having first repented. Right. And so as we read on, the promise isn't just for our children. It is for your children and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So we need to think of our children in the same category of all who are far off with a desire that the Lord, our God, should call them to himself.
1: And also to the kids, your children will watch your example.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so the only example of baptism in the New Testament that doesn't describe the recipients of baptism hearing the word or believing is Lydia's in Acts 16. And as a female traveling merchant away from home, she's the least likely to have had her young children with her, just as a way of arguing against anyone who might bring that up.
3: What, where is that? Um, what
0: verses? Acts 16. She, she, so she's baptized, I think. In, let's see here. Conversion of Lydia, setting sail from Troas, uh, 11. verse 11. Yeah, go in 15, after she was baptized, and her whole household as well. Acts 15, you said? 16, 16,
3: 15. 16 and 15.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: Okay. Yeah. So there are also no known references to infant baptism in the early church. Uh, one of the things that I like to bring up to my Pado Baptist friends. And I do have some paedo Baptist friends, uh, and we talk about it sometimes. Is um, a pickle recipe from the early 300s BC. So this is, well, we're, getting, we're getting old here, like BC before Christ. Uh, and he uses the word, the, the Greek word baptizo for what you're supposed to do with the pickles. Now, I, yeah, I've never made pickles. I might. I, I really would like to like pickles, but I don't yet. You can't sprinkle the pickle, right? And it becomes a pickle. Okay, So I like to bring that up every so often. But there are no known references to infant baptism in the early church, though paedobaptists may claim otherwise. There are many references to believers' baptism in the early church.
2: Actually, to notice here, even with Lydia, it, it says that um, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was being said by Paul yeah and after she was baptized <clears throat> yeah so even there you get
0: conversion first yeah mm-hmm. right. the 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 first reference we see to infant baptism, in case you're wondering, is from a guy named Tertullian and that he was around 200 a d and he's actually arguing against it. So the first defense of infant baptism that we have isn't until Cyprian who was about 250 AD he was arguing for it as something that was salvific and we decided not to even have that conversation. So so not the argument for in- infant baptism that we hear today. One would expect that if infant baptism was widespread and it was and if it was not universally accepted, which it clearly wasn't, then We would see much reference to it in the early writings of the church leaders, but we don't. So then, as we wrap up, in the New Testament, those who repented and believed the gospel were subsequently baptized. So even just to consider this personally, if you've repented and believed the gospel, have you publicly demonstrated this belief through baptism? Baptism is the biblical demonstration that a person has repented and believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Being baptized is so closely associated with conversion that sometimes it's referred to synonymously with that reality. A couple of different passages, even, even the one that we read in Romans, uh, could, could be taken that way. But, this is something that is important to the life of a Christian Firstly, in walking in obedience, but also symbolizing what has taken place uh, by God pouring out His grace on us and saving us. So then, any questions?
1: How many more weeks?
0: Well, we will go till the third. Okay. And how many topics are there? Enough to get us to the third. I forget. Um, Mike's not even here to witness this moment. We started on time and we're finishing early.
3: What going to be?
0: We've got... I'll be teaching eight ways uh, to... Let me just pull up my notes because I, I don't remember. Uh, there's a... Aging with Grace. Yeah, Aging with Grace for Women. Um, Caring for one another, eight ways to create meaningful re- relationships, and also a young married class so for those who have been married five years or less. Uh, I've been told special. engaged with special privileges is legal. <laughs> it
1: <was> special. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it will be a number of people. Uh, there's probably like five or six.
1: Which, oh, these are all the new classes. coming. yeah. I thought this was what you were going to talk about in the next three
0: weeks. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Taught by several ladies. I don't have the names in front of me right now. But. Your
1: wife, the the 20. 20. Okay. Good.
3: I think they seven or eight. It's kind of
0: like what's the one about relations going to be about? It's um Let me just pull it up here.
2: Okay. Guessing from the sound of it, it's probably like building relationships towards
0: evangelism? Uh, caring for one another, so like body, body life focus. Um, so we'll look at, um, the goal of the lessons is to further shape the culture of our church so that counseling and mutual care of souls becomes the natural feature of our body's everyday life it. There's always more than one I to do. <laughs> That's all right. It's a good problem to have. Yes,
1: it is.
0: But, let's close in prayer. Mm-hmm. Father, we're so thankful for this time. We're thankful for the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf. And we just ask that you would help us to walk faithfully in all that you've called us to. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just pray that you'd be with us today as we go from this place, that you'd be glorified in our lives, that you would conform us to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ Uh, Empower us by your Spirit to that end and help us uh, to love you and love others more each and every day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.